Thank you so much for that. And I also had the enthusiasm of youth. Because I might be old on the outside, but I'm young on the inside. I also might be white on the outside, but I'm black on the inside. So I'm sure all of you know what it means to have something on the inside that people can't see, but you're aware is there. Am I right? Okay. Um, I'm going to be preaching today on being called to freedom, but I want to pray first. Can we pray together, please? Father, I just thank you so much for Open Skies and for what you have done over many years with Roger and Vonnie and with Hilton and Jen. And I know, God, that this is something that is a, a multi-generational church with a forward-looking vision. And I'm so grateful for people who are sensitive to your spirit as this congregation is, the congregation and the leaders. And Lord, I pray that today you would empower me and anoint me by your spirit, that I might bring a word, the word in season, the word that you want your people to hear. Because if it's just me, God, it's just words. But only by the, the anointing of your spirit is any yoke of bondage ever broken. And only by your spirit is life given. And so I pray for life to be given and bondages to be broken. And I pray that people will walk out completely changed. And I know that that's a big thing to ask. But Jesus, you've said that if we ask anything according to your will, then you hear us. And if you hear us, then we know we have that which we have asked. And it's definitely, definitely your will that we should move from one degree of faith to another, from one level of glory to another, and from strength to strength. And so that is what we anticipate. Um, and so I just thank you for that. And Satan and demon powers, I bind you in the name of Jesus Christ who has defeated you. You will not steal this word. You will not misinterpret it. You will in no way oppose that which is spoken. I take authority over every religious spirit that would rise up in opposition to the word of God. And now as I am submitted unto God and resist you, Satan, you will flee in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you that you will cause every ear to be opened, every eye to be opened, and that I can trust you, that you will do that which you want to do. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay. I actually sat up till four o'clock this morning because I was looking for a video clip that I thought was suitable, to, because I want to show you something this morning. Because you know what? I don't know if we truly appreciate freedom. I do. I'm going to be sharing just bits of my story because Hilt asked me to, and I do believe that having been bound and being free, I'm in a position to speak to you about the subject. But I want us to look at that scripture first. Hilt's already quoted it, but um, it's in Galatians 5.1, and it says it, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So we have, we've received freedom, but it's something that we have to stand in. And God says to us, don't be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then in verse 16, or sorry, verse 13, he says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so we are called to freedom, and that's the name of this word that I have for you. 
And, you know, just to start off with, Roger and I have both had issues in our lives with claustrophobia. Anybody else out there? Yeah? Claustrophobia. And I was such a bad claustrophobic that I couldn't go near an airport without feeling sick. I mean, I couldn't even look at a plane close up without feeling as if I was going to suffocate. And I'd want to run outside and take great gasps of air because of the thought of being closed in into a plane. And this was just one of the aspects of claustrophobia that really, really had hold of me. But you know what? We are not made to be closed in. We really are not. We're not created to be imprisoned or enslaved in any way at all. We are created for freedom. And that's why imprisonment is something that is such incredible, it's a, a really horrible punishment. It's not so bad if people are in, um, in a prison that is open and where they're able to interact with one another, even though that is, I mean, they're gangs in prison and it's very violent. But solitary confinement is something that is really a, a truly, truly terrible punishment. And so this is the clip. I want to show you in a moment, that just a clip, it's only, it's under three minutes. But it's really, I just want you to see what it's like for the human being to be in bondage, in solitary confinement. Because it's one thing to see something physically. But you know that we have physical bodies, but there's also a spiritual person within us. And we are going to receive glorified bodies, resurrected and glorified bodies when Jesus returns. And it says in a twinkling of an eye, we're all going to be changed. But currently, we're in a physical condition, and our physical bodies are subject to deterioration and subject to decay, and we all know what it is. I think so, anyway. I have a, um, a nephew-in-law who has never had a headache in his life, and I want to hit him so hard that I give him one. <laughs> because I have suffered with headaches in the past, and I just look at him and I think, you know, you've got to have had a headache sometime, but he hasn't. And he's hardly ever had a day sickness in his life. And that is an incredible place of freedom for him physically. And, you know, some of us can speak about um, our, our condition physically, but the much more important thing is who we are on the inside, because that is our eternal being. And this is the area in which we need to experience freedom. Um, and so solitary confinement, if we, which, we're going to, which we're going to look at, um, just it's in a real prison and you just see how horrendous it is because in solitary confinement, people are not allowed to have any interaction with anybody else. Last night, I must have watched dozens of, um, of videos some long, some short, of people in solitary confinement and people speaking about it afterwards, but also seeing the people inside. Because so many of them, actually, people who've been in solitary for year after year after year have gone mad. They, and there are more suicides in prison when youngsters especially are put into solitary confinement for something that they've done that is really not worthy of a punishment as extreme as that. 
and there are prisons where the, um, the people in charge are totally abusive. And so I just want you to see this. If we can show it, please. Isn't that horrific? And they also don't, even as the guards walk up and down, they're not allowed to speak to them. So they get a flap opened and food pushed in and it's closed. And so that is, and as I was thinking about this and looking at these video clips, I was just really so aware of the bondage that I had lived in until I met Jesus. And it wasn't a bondage you could see on the outside because I was able to go out into a community. I wasn't in captivity like that. But I, at one time I was in a psychiatric institution for months on end. And in that institution, 
I can't even begin to describe it to you, but it was something that seared me. It actually affected me so deeply that um, I really only got free from that after I was a Christian and after I had been in ministry. And I, and I realized the captivity I was in when I knew that there was, I was actually in um, a place in Durban, uh, Wakesley. And when I even heard that name, I would begin, I would just begin to feel so claustrophobic. And, you know, in, in normal claustrophobia, it's just you feel like if somebody comes and grabs you and holds you tight and won't let you go, or if somebody, like you're lying on a bed and somebody in, in jest comes and puts a duvet over you and, like, keeps you down um, and things like that, it, it can really and truly just freak you out if you are a claustrophobic. And the thing is, take it from the spiritual, from the natural, and go into the spiritual. And you know, last week when the cross was here, and people, all of us, I think, went up and hung on that cross, something that we recognized as a bondage or something from which we wanted to be free. And although we might not be in captivity like that on the outside, it's incredible how many Christians are like that on the inside. And the reason I looked at solitary confinement is because when we have those kind of bondages in our lives, what happens is we feel that, that we feel as if nobody can understand. And it's, it's that desperation um, to just reach out and get some kind of help so that you're delivered from that. And this is why the songs we, we, we sang this morning are so appropriate to what I'm ministering on because we sang about how we are free indeed, and we are a child of God. And even though no other human can identify with what you've gone through and what many of you are still currently going through or what you fear that you're going to go through, Jesus does. And we were created not for imprisonment. We were created not for enslavement. We were created for freedom. We were created to be like Jesus, and this is why having the Holy Spirit within us, every single one of us has the Holy Spirit available to us in the same degree. Um, and I know that having walked through what I walked through and having come into such a place of freedom, I look back and I think, God, if I even got saved, anybody can get saved. If I could get free, anybody can get free. And that is the power of Christ. And he has called us to freedom. And, you know, it actually tells us in the word in Hebrews 12, too, I think. I think you might have it at the back there, but it's not in order. But in Hebrews 12, too, um, never mind that. But it says, here we go. Uh, okay. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the, of the um, throne of God. And that is from my old NIV. That's the way it expresses it. Um, the new NIV, the one that they changed in um, 2020, I think, or anyway, later, later than this one, says it a bit differently. But this is the thing, that when Jesus was on that cross, it was not the nails that kept his hands on the cross, 
or his feet on the cross. It was love. It was, it was love because he had the power to call upon his father for 12 legions of angels. They could have come and just delivered him at any moment. God could have annihilated every single person in Jerusalem, Roman and Jew alike. But instead, Jesus had prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't want to go to the cross, but he did it because it was the Father's will for him. And as he was there with love keeping him on that cross, it was the joy set before him. And what was set before him was you. He could see you. He could see me. And he could see, and it wasn't just the world. I just want to think, you to think about two specific people in the Bible. One was King Saul. And King Saul was the king of Israel. He was also, he had a stature and a, such an impressive appearance that everybody noticed him and everybody was awestruck by him. And, but although he was a, a, a man of such stature and such wonderful appearance, he was a complete captive. He, the man was in bondage to inferiority. I don't know where it came from, but he was filled with inferiority. He was filled with insecurity. He was filled with jealousy. He was filled with rage. And as he got more and more into captivity over his reign in Israel, as he became more and, and more bound by these different things, there came a time when David, um, when he was, was a young man, um, would come in and play the harp. And the demon that was actually oppressing Saul would, would be silent. It, it would stop oppressing him. But one day, like, he just went mad and threw a javelin at David, tried to pin him to the wall, and David had to escape. There was a time at dinner where he got angry with his son, Jonathan, and he, he threw a javelin at him as well. And so here you see a man who has got everything physically. He's got a palace. He's got um, the, he, he basically owns this entire nation. He can get riches from taxes and can just take what he likes. And yet on the inside, he was one of these characters, one of these poor individuals in jail. And I mean, I'm somebody who is so hardcore that it's like just stick a needle in their arm, really. But something changed in me when I was watching these. And I thought it's actually more merciful to execute somebody than give them a lifetime on death row where they're in solitary confinement and all they've got to look forward to is to leave in a coffin or in a body bag. Um, so this was the condition of Saul. On the inside, he was a captive like that. And this, this rage, this jealousy, and, and just an, an unreasonable degree of anger. And, you know, as I say that, I know that there, there's some people here um, who can actually identify, or if you can't, your marriage partner can. An unreasonable anger that actually oppresses people around, you know, the people you live with. And it's something to recognize and something to really cry out to get free from. But he had this unreasonable anger and he became demon possessed. At one time, he heard that some priests at a town called Nob had actually given David a sword and some bread to eat. And so he sent for them, and he had every single priest, 70-something priests, all executed because they had helped David. 
And so that was the condition of this man. And now he was, he was free on the outside, but he was in solitary confinement on the inside. Then I want you to think about Paul the Apostle. He was a persecutor of the church, but he encountered Jesus. And when he did that on the road to Damascus, he had this ex experience where um, a light shone from heaven and there was a voice that spoke from heaven. And the people with him heard it, but they didn't know what it was saying. But it was Jesus. And he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Because Paul was called Saul initially. Um, his name was changed to Paul by God. And he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus answered and said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And this was the situation where Paul, he was struck blind. And they had to take him into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind. Until an obedient servant of God went, laid hands on him, prayed for him. And it says something like scales dropped off his eyes. And he could see again. And he, when he saw again, he saw as a changed man. Because I honestly believe that what happened to Saul was that on the inside, the blindness had to come off of his eyes first, off of his spiritual eyes, so that he could see and understand that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, that he was alive. And then the scales, when he had that in his heart, in his spirit, then this um, Ananias, not the one who crooked with money and was struck dead, not him, but another Ananias, came to him in fear and trembling and laid hands on him and he said to her, he told him that he was free and the scales dropped from his eyes and he came out a changed man. And from then on, Paul had a boldness that the Bible talks about where it says the righteous, the wicked flee where no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And that's exactly what Paul was like. He feared nothing. He was in shipwrecks. He was whipped um, many times and beaten with rods. Uh, he was in the open sea. He said he was hungry sometimes through fasting and sometimes just because there wasn't any food. And as an, as an apostle, he really endured so much. And, you know, when you, think, uh, when you think of that and you realize that when this man was in a Roman prison cell and it was like a dungeon, I didn't even want to show you some of the prisons in America. That they're just too appalling. They're not even fit for human habitation. And they call them the hole. And that is where um, people are thrown in for misbehaving. Um, and the Roman prison cells were, were disgusting. And some of them were half filled with water and sewage. And Paul is in there writing letters. To the, to the Philippians and to different people and just urging them, encouraging them, being joyful, you know, not even complaining. And he said it was actually so good that he was in jail because some of the guards had now got saved and some of Caesar's guards had got saved. And so he might have been confined in, in serious ways in the open sea, um, you know, in, in, in shipwrecks and being laid out and whipped 39 lashes and being beaten with rods, different things, and his body suffered terribly. But that man was free. He was free indeed because his circumstances did not have the power to, to, to diminish him. He was as free as he was when he was in a place of luxury. He said, I've learned to be content. 
you know, whether I abound or whether I obey, I'm abased. In other words, when I have lots of things that are, are really pleasant for me or when I don't, have, I don't have anything, I've learned to be content. And that man was free. And Paul, in many ways, is a hero to me because I look at what he endured and I look at his fearlessness, the way he was able to stand up to anybody, even in his last imprisonment. I just love reading about it in, in Acts 20, 26 or 7, um, when, when he gave his testimony to the king and to, uh, and, and to the, Roman, uh, to the, the governor. And he gave it, and he told them his whole testimony. And then he spoke about Jesus being alive. And the governor interrupted him and, and shouted at him. And he said to him, he said, so, he said, Paul, you've gone mad. You've gone insane. You know, and he was absolutely put out by the idea of this man resurrected, raised from the dead, and walking around alive that Paul was talking about. And, he, and Paul said to him, I'm not, he said, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. He said, what I'm saying is absolutely reasonable, and it's true. And then he said to the king, you know it's true. And he used every opportunity to try and get other people to freedom. He would call them to freedom, just the same way that Jesus did. And so although I have never been in prison, thank God, um, because it wouldn't be anything except that feeling of these little cells, Roger, can you imagine? Vonnie and I, Vonnie, Pauline and I went to a, an Aaron McElroy do uh, once, a couple of years ago, three or four years ago. We went to, to see the show, and the next thing there was a, um, a whole bunch of students protesting outside, but threatening to come in, and they wanted to smash the windows, and, we, and they, they hustled us all downstairs, all the, the people in the audience, right down to the dressing rooms at the bottom. And of course, all the doors and windows were closed, and we had to keep quiet in the beginning. You know, and they, they dimmed the lights so that the people didn't know we were there. And Roger, at least Vani, Pauline, and I got the giggles. And we were saying to each other, if Roger was here, and we began to imagine it, because the bishop, I'm saying that as a joke, eh? We don't have bishops and archdeacons or anything like that. But Roger um, begins to, he, he begins to, <laughs> to breathe heavily. Um, and I have a car which has a deadlock on it. And if, you, if somebody gets out and locks the car with the key, you cannot open it. N nothing works. And Adele drove me to a place once down in Pinetown, um, or in Sarnia, actually, to go in and buy lunch after church. And she had the key in her hand. And she flicked it. She, she, she flicked it locked as she went out. And me and all my freedom began to go, <sighs> and, I, and I tried the hooter, and of course it doesn't work. Nothing electronic works. Um, and I was breathing. You, you feel like you're suffocating. And the terrible thing is you want to actually rip your clothes off, or I did. But I knew that that wasn't appropriate. So I just, you know, like breathed very heavily. And when she came back, I said, what did you do that for? I mean, she didn't even know what she'd done. But she'd locked me in with a deadlock. Um, and I told Roger that. He goes, no man, Fiona, no man. Um, so it, it, the thought of being in a little cell, and, you know, when I, was, I went to Robben Island and went into Mandela's cell, 
And when you, when you see these places, the camera doesn't really give the enormity of how awful it is. But they are so small. They're like 12 feet, 9 feet by 6 feet. And they've got just no, nothing in them. Um, now, please let's apply this to our own lives. Because we've had the wonderful series of Easter about the three nails and every single thing that Jesus went through. And he did not just go through all of that in order to get us saved in that we're going to go to heaven one day. We're not going to stand at the great white throne judgment. We know that our sins have already been judged. We're only going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ to get rewards. He didn't just die for that. He died so that we could live free on this earth, so that our lives here would be a pleasure to us, that we would be able to enjoy fellowship with one another. We would be able to come together the way we are now. And what a, what a privilege that is, guys. You know, when you go into China or places like that, uh, where it's, it's really forbidden for there to be much freedom when it comes to religion. And where you know that the underground church is thriving, but people have to hear from the Holy Spirit about where they can go, where they can meet, um, and where they can, and where many of them don't have a Bible. They might have a scrap of scripture, and they bring it along and they share it with one another. And we've got, I mean, I've got about 40 Bibles and use them all. Um, we, we just have such an abundance, a proliferation of the word here physically. But has the word been transferred from the pages of the Bible into who you are, into your heart? Have we done that? You know, I've tried my best in my life to do that. Because when I got saved, wait, let me give you a scripture first. I gave them bunches of scriptures haven't used them all. Um, John 8, 32 and 36, please. Um, then you will know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then in 2 Corinthians three seventeen, it says, it says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Think about this for a second. Jesus said that, he said, if you know, you know, if you know my, if my word lives in you, he said, you're going to know, you're going to be free. He said, um, then you're going to know the truth, and the truth is what sets you free. And he said, when the Son, in other words, when I set you free, you will be free indeed. And we see that in the disciples' lives. Because men who previously had been afraid, and when Jesus was crucified, they disappeared. But the Spirit of God changed them from the day of Pentecost on. They'd seen Jesus ascend into heaven in front of their eyes. And so they, they knew they knew that it was true that Jesus was alive. And when God poured out his spirit upon them on the day of Pentecost, when they were in the upper room in Jerusalem, that proved to them that Jesus was at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, because he had done what he had promised, and the Father had poured out the Holy Spirit. And these guys were changed. 
Every single one of them, except John, was martyred. They died a martyr's death. But you know that there's, I think that with martyrs, there's a calling to martyrdom. There's something where there's an awareness inside. And, you know, when you look at Stephen being martyred, uh, they stoned him to death. Um, and, but the point is that when, he, when they looked at him, his face was like the face of an angel. And while he was being stoned to death, he was glowing with the Holy Spirit. You know, like Moses' face shone so that they, when he was in the presence of God, so that he had to put a veil over his face, not to hide the glowing, but the glowing faded as he got out of God's presence. And he didn't want the people to see that. And so now here, Stephen's face, the first martyr, was gl as a Christian, was glowing as he died. And he said, forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing, just like his Lord had done. And this was a man who was a deacon in the, in the church, in the early church. And so when it says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Um, we know that just as Jesus himself walked alongside them and said, when I set you free, you're going to be free indeed. We now have him on the inside of us. And it says where the spirit of the Lord is, and that's within us. With where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. What is liberty? I just want to quickly give you um, so just a couple, a definition or two. What is freedom? And I just selected one or two from a variety of places. But it says, it's the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. That's what freedom is. And, and they give an example. The, sh the shark thrashed its way to freedom. So presumably it was in a net or it was in the point of being, of being caught, gaffed maybe. But anyway, it thrashed its way to freedom and it escaped death and it escaped captivity. Um, and then it, another definition says freedom. And I love this. Freedom, not just to do what we want, but freedom to be who we were meant to be. And so we were meant to be like Jesus. We were meant to be like Paul. We were meant to be free indeed. Um, and just, I want to just take the few minutes. Is that 10 minutes I've got left or am I over time already? I'm over time, aren't I? I always get mixed up with that jolly board. I look at the middle one, and that's the time. And so I always think I've got 10 minutes left. Um, and then I look to the left, and it says minus in red. <laughs> sure. Well, just I, know, I really do know what it is to be in bondage, and I know what it is to be free. Because I was a spiritualist medium, just like my father. And... When you are a medium, what happens is that you give your body, your voice, your mind, everything about you, you give it over to what is a demon, but you don't know that. You think it's a spirit guide. And you give it over, and it's like you just disappear. You're somewhere in, you're somewhere in the background. And the spirit speaks through your mouth. And I was completely bound in captivity in spiritualism. There was a time towards the end of, of before I got saved, where I would go to school but as, as a teacher. And in those days, we still used chalk and blackboards. And that's where I can tell you I'm very old. So anyway, 
Um, so I would stand with a piece of chalk in my hand and I would be looking at a book wanting to, to write up something. And my hand would just start moving and I was doing automatic writing on the, on the blackboard. I, was, I had been taken over by these different spirits. In other words, I was demon-possessed. Um, and there are all kinds of arguments about whether demons possess you or oppress you or what they do. But anyway, I had these demons in my life that I had welcomed in thinking that they were, that they were dead, people, dead people that were coming to be my guides in this life. Um, and I was also like in such a bondage of fear of so many things, uh, but especially of, I just became so bound that I was afraid of anger. I was afraid of people's anger directed at me, and I was afraid of violence. And unfortunately, I was in a relationship where I was both abused and treated violently, and really, if I ever told my story in fullness, it would be horrific. I mean, it's, somebody has wanted to make a movie about it, and I just said, hang on, they're not all dead yet. Some of them are. <laughs> Um, but it, that, that kind of living with violence and living with fear and living with abuse was so bad that it drove me into alcohol. I became an alcoholic. From right towards the end, I became a drug addict. First on psychiatric drugs, but then I met people. Actually, one was a magistrate. And um, he used to steal the all the weed out of the, out of the courthouse, you know, that they brought in as evidence. So he stole all the best. And um, he introduced me to it. And we used to go and sit in a factory where they made, where they actually polished gemstones and sit in buckets of these things and smoking weed and um, thinking that life was a jewel while we were high. But then we had to come down to reality. But it, I was driven to these different addictions, but to where they really did, they were addictions. If it, came, if it was evening and I didn't have a full bottle of whiskey, I would have a panic attack. Because again, back in those days, you couldn't buy something after hours. Everything closed at five o'clock. And some people here will remember that. Um, but I was also in depression. And really, the, the biggest bondage for me was that I wanted to die, but I couldn't kill myself. Because in spiritualism, you believe that if you, if you kill yourself, you're going to have to come back. Because we believed in, we spiritualists, believed in reincarnation. So you would have to come back and live that life again. Um, so it, you were trapped. I was absolutely trapped. There was no way out. And so I understand solitary confinement. But it wasn't my physical body being confined. What it was, was my inner being being confined and living in depression and just wanting to die and going out and doing the most dangerous things imaginable, like willing death upon myself. And that's where I know that when God calls us, he calls us to freedom and his hand is on us. And so I didn't die, but I was trapped. Um, anyway, so my entire soul was damaged. But you know, Jesus set me free because I had I had a Damascus Road experience, like Paul did, where when people, I'm just really just touching on 
like a pinch of salt. Some people that are the, actually, some people that I knew who were baby Christians took me to a meeting where I was healed because I neglected to say that I had dived on my head on shallow, in shallow water at the beach and injured my spine and was in traction in hospital. And anyway, that's, it's a long, 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 long story. But the point about this is that uh, I was um, in this, I was in hospital and uh, an Afrikaans guy came in and he shared the gospel with me and he, pray, he prayed for me. And I know that it was the prayers of so many people that brought me to the position where these, this young couple came to visit me and they, they shared the gospel with me. But they, did, they weren't put off by the way I rejected them and by the things that I said and the language I used because I was a blasphemer. And uh, I just, uh, I, I used really bad language, but they weren't put off by any of that. And they carried on until eventually they got me to say the sinner's prayer. And I believe just in saying Jesus is Lord, something broke. But there were many people praying for me. By the time I got down to this meeting, which was in, in the Amstali School Hall, and the man preached on the crucifixion, the second night, the first night, um, I put my hand up to be saved. But when he spoke to us, he said, don't say anything you don't mean, because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so I just, I said, I'm not going to say anything here, because I knew I didn't mean it. I didn't want to give up my whiskey. I didn't want to give up my weed. I didn't want to give up anything. So I wasn't going to say that because he'd made me scared. You know, the living God. And he told us about how his face is going to be in the sky. And people who don't know him are going to run. And they're going to try and hide in holes in the ground and under rocks to hide themselves from the face of him who's in the sky. And so that was so scary that I'm really glad I didn't pray. But the next night he preached on the crucifixion. And you know, when Yaku was here, he told us about how when uh, he saw the movie, The Passion, how it, it caused him to just lie on his face and weep because he was so affected by it. Now, I saw The Passion and it didn't affect me because I had already seen the crucifixion. Because as he was preaching, I was absolutely drawn into what he was saying, and he read the scripture in Isaiah 52, I think, where it says he was marred beyond human likeness. He spoke about how they pulled out Jesus' beard and stuck those, those huge thorns into his head, and he was beaten so that his back was ripped open and you could see his spine and see his internal organs. And so when I saw the passion, they couldn't make Jesus marred beyond human likeness. But I had seen that. I'd actually seen it. And as I saw it, I knew it was true. I, I, I knew it was true. And I could feel the presence of God with love, like liquid love, just rolling over me. And the compassion of God, the compassion and the love of God toward me. And I was a blasphemer. And I had done everything wrong that could be done wrong, but God loved me. And when I gave my life to Jesus that night, I still had to be delivered of demons. But uh, when I was delivered of demons, which was a few days later, and please come to my class on 
demonology and deliverance was the way they delivered me was completely wrong. They held me down and sat on me. Was I tried? <laughs> Because I tried to kill one of them. I jumped on him and tried to strangle him. That's not how you do deliverance. All right. So I'll, te I'll teach you how you do do deliverance. But the point is that when that thing broke, I felt like I had been born onto a new planet and born again. And we really are born again. And what I, I want to do right now is ask David if he'll come up with my iPad. Because I want to end here, because I've gone over and so sorry. But I want um, David to read sections from Martin Luther King's speech. And then we're going to rejoice and pray as well. Thank you. Morning, church. Just some nervous. Uh, joking. <laughs> Um, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they'll not be judged by the color of their skin, but, the co but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day in Alabama with his vicious racist, one day down in Alabama with the little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands and with little, little white boys and little white girls as sisters and as brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every, every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight. And that the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the fleshes shall see it together. This is our hope. This is our faith that I go back to, to the south with. With this faith, we'll be able to hew out of the mountains of despair, a stone of hope. With this faith, we'll be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, and to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we'll be free one day. For every mountainside, let freedom ring. And when this happens, and when we all allow freedom to ring, we will let it ring from every village, from every helmet, from every state, from every city, we'll be able to speed up that day when our Lord God Almighty will call back his children, whether black and white, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, we will be able to join in hands and sing the words of the old Negro spirituals, saying, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Thank you, David. How powerful is that? Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. And in this church, we can know freedom because that is the, where, where Martin Luther King said, I have a dream. Do you know that Jesus has a dream? And he's given that dream first to Roger and Yvonne and now to Jin and Hilton. And that dream is that this congregation would be free, free, free at last that people could come in in the condition that I was in when I got saved and that they can be set free. But you know, there's got to be something in us that cries out for freedom. Many people are in denial. If you, have, if you are in bondage to anger, you can stop it. I, I really just have such a strong sense that anger is an issue. 
like a real, real issue. And you just see it as part of who you are. But I feel that there, there are at least three men here who battle in this way. And you don't even know that your wives are walking on eggshells because they don't know that they might provoke you to, to some kind of violent outburst. I lived with that. I know what kind of bondage it brings. And you know what? You can control anger. Because if somebody that you really respect um, and somebody that you really admire came to the door, your anger would just fizzle straight out. We can control how we act. And so whether it's, whether it's anger, we cannot be in denial. If there's some kind of addiction, that's bondage. Whatever it is that is holding you back on the inside, it's bondage. And Jesus wants us to be free. Everything today has been about freedom. And I want, I just, can you come? Um, I just really, really want us to cry out for freedom and imagine that you were in that kind of solitary confinement and somebody came and opened the door. And I just want to, I'll just be one minute. Ziggy Oblunder, you know, I'm sure many of you know Ziggy. She tells, and I've actually met this parrot myself, friends of hers have got an African grey. And this African grey is so conditioned to captivity that they wanted to get out its cage and wander around. So they open the cage and sometimes they take him out and he goes and he gets back and he gets his beak and grabs the door and closes it on himself. And you know, that is, it's funny when you see a parrot doing that. It's not funny when people do that. When we're set free, but we get back in our cage of captivity and pull it closed. And so today, will you please just examine your heart and cry out for freedom? Thank you. Quite a story. I, I would love to have met you like in those days. I, I can't like picture it. So some of you are thinking, no, impossible, you know, smoking the devil's lettuce and all that. <laughs> Fiona makes a good point at the end. It's crazy how we hang on to our bondage. That's why I said last week when we left it on the cross, leave it there. And unfortunately, as we've even looked with, you know, some of those visuals from prison, weren't those terrifying? But how many people eventually get free from prison but go back because they're so comfortable in that environment? There's a, a structure and many end up committing crime to go back because they find it secure. In the psychiatric institution, people didn't want to leave because of the regimented lifestyle. And so they, they were content to just take their pills when they were told to, go outside when they were told to, come inside. They didn't want to face the world. It's captivity. Yeah, your, your mind has been damaged. And God wants us to live free. And that's, it's not an official series, but over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to hear um, from uh, Adele's going to preach and Colin's going to be, I'm going to preach as well. We're just going to talk about freedom a little longer because I really feel it's something that uh, God wants to do in all of us, that we would live free. And if we've been accustomed to the, the, the way the world tells us we should live and the lies we get fed from the enemy, God doesn't want us to live like that. We need to get free. And um, do you know, just as we close, because I'm aware of the time as well. Fiona, I dropped a song on purpose today. We, we didn't do a fourth song because, because no, because we want to rather hear from you. So, so don't feel pressured on that at all. But um, one of the ways to be free, I mean, there's multiple ways, 
but if you have read the book of Acts, in Acts 16, I think, it's Paul and Silas, they were in prison, and the walls came down, the doors opened because they were praying and they were praising. And there's something in praising God that does something, it sets us free. And I think it's perfect timing for you to come back tonight. Seriously, because we don't have time now. I mean, I'd love to get the band up and we sing a lot more, but come back tonight. Process what you've heard today. Come back tonight because we're going to sing and we're going to praise God. And I believe in an environment where everybody's into it and we're all singing, and I believe God can do something in your life. So if you feel bound and have identified with some of what Fiona's saying, um, I just think that's one way that you can be free. We're going to close and we're going to say a prayer because if you never prayed a prayer, you will never be free. And really encourage you to maybe do this college course uh, that starts, is it this Tuesday? This Tuesday, come and do this Bible college course with Fiona. I think it will really open your eyes and help you get free. So I think it's been an amazing Sunday as we've celebrated freedom. And can we just close in prayer? Just pray, Father, thank you so much for what you have done in our lives. And even today, as we've heard your word, we've heard the stories, we've heard the testimony, we've sung the songs. Lord, would you help us to be free, to live free? because that's your heart for us. And I know for many of us, it's a, it's a process and a journey. Sometimes it's a miracle, but sometimes it's a healing. And I pray for those three men today that Fiona prophetically identified that are struggling with anger. I pray for freedom today over their lives in Jesus' name. I pray that someone would be broken right now in Jesus' name over their life, that God, peace would reign and rule over their hearts. And next time they feel themselves being frustrated or anger and going down a certain way, I pray for their minds just to be changed right now in the name of Jesus, that they would be free of that. And the Bible clearly says that we, we can get angry, we can be frustrated, but it says, but in our anger we do not sin. And I pray where there's been a pattern of wrongdoing and hurt towards other people in and through those moments of frustration, God, I pray from today, that their lives would look different. We pray and break the power of that anger in Jesus' name. And if that's you and you need more prayer, you're welcome to come up after the service and we'll happily pray for you. But my last prayer is for anyone here today, you've never started that journey with the Lord. And as Fiona shared earlier, she was in bondage and she had to pray a prayer. It's a sinner's prayer, saying, God, I'm a, I'm a sinner, forgive me. If you'd like to pray that prayer, why don't you just pray it with me now? You can pray it, just whisper it out or pray, quietly pray in your heart, but just say this prayer. Dear Jesus, from today, I commit my life to you. Forgive me for my past. I'm sorry, Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. And from today, Lord, I let go of my past, my old ways, and I commit my life fully to you. Come and be Lord of my life. Come and set me free. Come and live in my heart by your spirit. And today, Lord, I give my life fully to you. Today, I have been saved. I am free in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, there's a couple steps up on the screen. Just come and let